0: we got a lot coming up for you on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. I probably just yelled really loud in your ears to start the show. Sorry to all of you, and especially to Sam Dykstra, who has to deal
1: with that every week. Hi, Sam. You should apologize every week. That's how we should have started out every week. Hi, I should, I'm sorry. Expectations nice and low. Thank you so much for joining us. We are terribly sorry.
0: Terribly sorry to interrupt your day uh no we welcome you in and say hello uh this week's episode of the show before the show the official podcast of minor league baseball i am tylen ron he is sam dykstra we do have a lot coming up for you on the show Today, Garrett Mitchell, the top draft selection and now top prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers organization, joins the show coming up here uh, in a little bit. Sam sent Garrett a message, and as Sam and I logged on to start recording today, immediately got a message back that was like, Yeah, I'm available right now. So we hopped on, had a great conversation with, uh, with Garrett. You'll hear from him in a little bit. You'll hear from Benjamin Hill coming up after that. You'll hear from Josh Jackson a little while later. A ton of stuff going on in this week's episode of the show before the show. And, uh, First things first, a tropical storm passed through uh, your area yesterday. All good?
1: All good here, yeah. Um, Good. We we did get some wind. We did get some rain. Uh, I did move my car, what felt like just in time. I was, like, looking out my window. I was like, I feel like I should move the car. It's under a tree. Yeah. And just when I looked outside, a branch came and, like, landed on the trunk. Oh man. by a Toyota Corolla. Not anything damage worthy or anything, but I was just like, yeah, that's a pretty good sign. So I went and moved the car, was not under any trees that survived. Everything is fine. It's good. My neighborhood and all that, um, some down trees in Prospect Park near where I live, but all all in all pretty good. Um, I am thinking of everybody's without power right now. I mean, there's like, a, my family in Connecticut doesn't have power at the moment. So I'm sure my nephew and niece are, are bouncing off the wall, trying to figure out what to do without TV. Uh, but every everything is fine in this neck of the woods for for having a tropical storm roll through.
0: Well, good, and we hope uh, all of you, wherever you are, are safe and healthy. And. Uh, doing all the right things and wearing your masks and keeping your social distance and all of that as uh, we're a few weeks into the major league season now as crazy as that is and uh, we've got some guys to talk about who are on the way and arriving now at the major league level and that's where we're going to start with a a couple of top 100 prospects in baseball who were summoned to the big leagues to make their debuts this week Uh, Joe Adele with the Angels and Luis Patino with the Padres Adele obviously coming into this season as a guy who uh, everybody was just waiting and knowing it was a a matter of time uh, if and or when and not if Joe Adele would be at the major league level. Luis Patino has made such a rapid climb in recent years. He's the 29th ranked overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline's newest rankings, Joe Adele, number six. Uh, But those two guys arriving, more excitement for uh, Padres fans who have grown so accustomed to prospect excitement uh, in recent seasons. And Joe Adele, he's a big piece to arrive with the Angels this uh, this year.
1: Yeah, Joe Adele, like you said, it always felt like a matter of time before they were going to bring him up. I actually thought it might be delayed even further because Brian Goodwin actually got to off to a really good start for the Angels. Uh, and you know Mike Trout was on paternity leave for a while. He came back, so I thought, okay, they're going to have a pretty full outfield. Also with veteran and expensive veteran at that, Justin Upton, uh, it seemed like all three outfield spots seemed to be spoken for. Uh, But Joe Adele, he's too good of a talent to leave at the alternate site at Long Beach State. Uh, They brought him up this week. That might mean a reduced playing time for Justin Upton, probably going to mean the same for Brian Goodwin. But right now, having Mike Trout and Joe Adele in the outfield is super, super special. Uh, Adele, since he was taken in the 2017 draft, he was 10th overall. I think he was on this podcast that week. I think I got him right before the draft, which was pretty good in hindsight. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, you're more than welcome to Compared where he was uh, coming out of the Louisville area to where he is now as one of the game's best prospects. But uh, the thing that stands out is his power. It has the chance to be plus plus. He's also a plus runner. Uh, the only question mark with him is the hit tool. And even that's been pretty good pretty much everywhere he's gone so far the arm, the fielding tools, all, all plus. Uh, he can do pretty much everything on the baseball field well. Uh, he got, he moved up pretty quickly last year. He suffered some, some pre pretty serious leg injuries all at the same time in spring training that held him back until about may. Uh, But then he moved from class a advanced inland empire to double a mobile to triple a salt Lake Uh, played a little bit in the AFL. Then Tyler, I know you saw him on team USA last year in the premier 12 tournament. Uh, What stood out to you there when you got to see him play basically every day?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was just, you could tell that every, every tool was there. Um, And it's interesting actually among that group uh, that was, on the, the U.S. roster. Um, Jake Cronenworth is up with the San Diego Padres. He was a member of that roster. Obviously, was traded over the offseason uh, from Tampa Bay to San Diego. Cody Ponce got his call this week, the Brewers pitching prospect, um, and now Joe Adele going up. I think there's another one that I missed uh, as well. A couple of guys from the, the Mexico team have been promoted. But yeah, Joe Adele, I mean, and you could tell the one thing that was really interesting about Joe Adele was especially after that tournament moved, uh, the U.S. played the opening round in Mexico. When that tournament moved, to Tokyo, you could tell how many fans of the crowds in Japan knew about Joe Adele before he even got there. Uh, the U.S.-Japan game, you could tell when Joe Adele came to the plate, people knew, oh, that's the guy who's going to be in the outfield with Mike Trout soon. And that was really cool. But he, yeah, he put a lot on display, was very much uh, kind of the, the well-rounded guy that you expected him to be.
1: Yeah, so that, that, that was a definite cool call-up. Uh, that was made official. He officially debuted on Tuesday. Uh, with the Angels. Luis Patino is the other name. You mentioned their title, number 29 overall prospect right now. Padres call him up. He actually beats Mackenzie Gore to San Diego. Uh, I think that's pretty telling, at least where they both are. Uh, the reports coming out of the alternate site at the University of San Diego for Patino were were spectacular. Um, he's going to be moving into a bullpen role, at least initially with the Padres, but Jace Tingler, the uh, manager for San Diego, said he has every possibility of moving into the rotation as the season goes on. The Padres have done very well coming out of the gate here uh, in the NL West. It looks like they're definitely going to be competing for a a playoff spot, but they may even be competing for the division the way they have started out and the Dodgers have started out. And yes, Tyler, your Colorado Rockies have began the 2020 season. Um, But adding Patino to the bullpen is going to be really special. We got a brief look at this last year at the all-star futures game in Cleveland where Patino closed out the game for the National League. Uh, He was basically slated to come in for for two-thirds of an inning, uh, but the game went into extra innings, so he ended up pitching an inning in two-thirds, which was the longest of any pitcher in that game. Retired all five batters he faced. I think he got three strikeouts. He struck out Ronaldo Hernandez, Royce Lewis, and the aforementioned Joe Adele, which is pretty good. He hit 99 on the gun, which is not something he will typically do as a starter. So the fact that he could do that in a shorter stint on a big league field, in a big spot like that was really special. He was my pick for MVP. We didn't get to vote on it. It, it ended up going to Rangers catcher Sam Huff but because uh, Sam Huff homered in that game. But I think Patino showed a lot of talent in a very short stint. He's going to bring that to San Diego right away. He could be an elite bullpen arm pretty quickly. He's got the plus slider. He's got a decent curveball and changeup. But he throws all of them for strikes, and that's going to certainly help him uh, they' working out of that bullpen. I bet he starts making starts by September. Uh, he's just too good to to limit his role like that but the fact that the Padres are going forward is very exciting and bringing him up this quick is is a special opportunity for him. Uh, you know just being uh, 20 years old that he is he'll turn 21 in October uh, so he'll be 20 for all of this season. Uh, it's really cool to see him in that spot and I, I think we can expect big things just because the stuff is that good.
0: There are uh, a lot of guys who have already made an impact from the prospect side of the major league level and uh, are on their way to doing so in 2020 with this weird and uh, and bizarro world 60-game season. But, man, we're already a tenth of the way – or a sixth of the way, rather, uh, through the season, through 10 games for a lot of teams, and uh, it's kind of crazy. It's been a very weird and crazy year across – all levels of baseball but one especially guys who were drafted in 2020 and uh, for the second time since the major league baseball first year player draft we're going to hear from one of those first round selections we of course caught up with Spencer Torkelson recently the first overall selection uh, of the Detroit Tigers in the 2020 major league first year player draft and uh, today we will hear from Garrett Mitchell the first round selection of the Milwaukee Brewers the outfielder out of UCLA joins the show next.
2: As an official partner
3: of minor league baseball, Nationwide's here to make sure you're protected for every pitch life throws at you. Visit Nationwide.com today to see how we can help meet your needs. Nationwide is on your side. We are headed back
0: to the uh, 2020 Major League First-Year Player Draft on this week's episode of the show before the show. And the new top prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers organization in baseball is number 69 overall, Garrett Mitchell, the outfielder drafted out of UCLA with a 20th overall pick uh, in the June draft. Garrett, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. How are you?
4: Thank you. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing?
0: We're doing well. It's obviously a very strange year uh, for everybody in the baseball world, but I feel like especially for draft guys this year, and uh, and you obviously very well fit into that conversation. Um, we were talking to you just before we started recording. You are in Arizona right now, uh, able to get some work into the Brewers Complex. But this season, you start the year at UCLA, get a couple weeks into the season, the whole world goes uh, to hell in a handbasket. The The season gets paused, gets canceled. Then you're thrown into this draft mix. You get picked in the first round. What have the last six months been like for you? Because this has been a, a weird year for everybody, and I can't imagine how much weirder it's been if you were a draft person this year.
4: Yeah, no, it's been a little bit crazy, a little bit hectic. But, you know, it's coming out of the roll with the punches sometimes. And, you know, obviously it wasn't what anyone else planned. But, you know, everything that's happened up to this point, you know, has happened for a reason. And the most important thing is everyone just has to stay safe. Um, I cannot thank the Brewers organization uh, any more than I have about just, you know, trusting, believing in, in me and my abilities. And um, I'm just excited to be in such a great and amazing organization. And to UCLA, you know, I'm going to miss the times I had there, and I really wish that we had this year to, to go out there and, you know, try to fix what happened last year, losing the Super Regionals and trying to go win a World Series. But, you know, I wish, you know, Coach Savage and the Bruins uh, good luck in the future, and I'm excited for the next chapter.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the, the college season this year because you get starts in all 15 uh, of the Bruins games. You're off to a fantastic start, 355, 425, 484. I think you only had two hitless games. And then all of a sudden you get shut down. We talked with Spencer Torkelson a couple weeks ago, and he said, you know, at the beginning, and I think this – it's so weird thinking back on March, but I think we were all kind of in this mindset to a certain degree. At the beginning, the the Arizona State guys kind of thought like, okay, maybe this will be a few weeks and we'll be able to get back at it. And then obviously the large uh, – Full scope of everything uh, comes into focus. What was it like for you guys when you found out about the season being put on pause and then as it progressed over the next few weeks at UCLA?
4: Well, you know, when it first kind of came out that, you know, like the NBA season was shutting down for a time and, you know, Major League Baseball, Baseball was doing the same thing and, you know, all this stuff was kind of happening, it was kind of, we were kind of getting the idea that, you know, this is probably what's going to happen to us, you know, that we're probably next. And so we had a conversation with Coach Savage as a team. you know, know, the conversation was basically just to stay ready, stay focused. We might be shut down for a couple of weeks, but we need to be ready to go. But all in in the same day, there was a bunch of stuff coming out about, you know, call it all college sports, like spring seasons are being canceled. There's going to be no championships. So at that point, you kind of got the idea that, you know, the season was going to get shut down and, you know, me and Spencer are buddies. So me and him were talking throughout this whole entire process. And with that being said, and us being two competitors, um, we obviously wanted to get get the chance to play against each other this year. So, you know, that kind of sucked for us. So.
0: <laughs> what was it like? You're off to such a good start. And for you, it was the process of coming back from injury, too, with Team USA and the collegiate national team the year before. Um, you get shut down with a, a leg injury. And then coming back, you're off to such a good start. And then all of a sudden this all hits. Is it, uh, is it a, a moment of kind of more frustration, uh, and obviously, you know with such big things coming just a few months later being drafted, you can kind of move past it. but how much did it hurt the fact that you're off to such a good start? you guys are you know trying to like you said, uh, come back from 2019 and the way things finished and then all of a sudden it's all gone. I mean what were the personal emotions for you there?
4: I mean uh, I, I can't even tell you just I mean the whole the whole situation was tough. you know just like I said, the biggest thing more than just about me, just about you know the whole team and the whole program is, You know, we left the end of um, my sophomore year, which was the 2019 season, just not, you know, satisfied with what happened. And that was really disappointing. So for me, more than just, you know, having a miss out with the USA team and, you know, not play much in the fall, it was more of a, a redemption season for us knowing that, you know, we had a really good year, but, you know, there was still more to prove. And especially when you lose, like seven of your nine guys in the starting lineup that, you know, it's tough and it's not easy. So this year when we came out to such a hot star and we were playing well, we, and coming off some pretty big wins against, you know, like Oklahoma state or Texas A&M or Vanderbilt, you know, it shows that this team was a little bit different, you know, had a little bit more edge and, you know, was ready to, to go out against the big dogs every single day. And to lose that only 15 games in was just really disappointing and sad, but, I don't even know what to say because even when you still think about it, it, it just sucks. It really does. Yeah.
1: And, and coming off that, you know, the fact that you only had that those many games and then, like Tyler said, you know, you have to turn that around and there's a draft coming up in June. And once we found out there was no spring schedule and all that, but what were your expectations going into the draft? MLB.com had you at number six overall. Baseball America had you at number six overall. There were some pretty – big expectations about where you could go in the first round. You go to Milwaukee, as we've said, uh, 20th overall. But what were your expectations going into the day?
4: I mean, I had had an idea of kind of what was going on. And, you know, I had conversations with my agents and and with teams. And, you know, for me, the biggest thing was it doesn't really matter if it's pick number one or if it's the last pick in the five rounds. It was more of just, you know, I'm going to be prepared to play um, for whatever team, you know, trusts and believes in my abilities. And, you know, with diabetes being one of those things that people like to throw question marks n- um, next to, it's just it's something that I can't control, you know? Like, that's something that I've had for, you know, 12 years, and I take really good care of myself and, you know, make sure I'm prepared every single day to play. But, you know, it, that's not really my concern, or I shouldn't even have to worry about those types of things. So, for me, when it went into going into that day, I was just blessed and happy with the opportunity to be picked on night one. And that's what I try to stay focused on because, you know, if you try to think too much about, you know, being, okay, you're the number six overall prospect, you're projected to go top 10. And, you know, you just sitting there thinking that way, you know, you're only going to give your, put yourself in a situation where you're just going to feel disappointed because, you know, that's not how this works. It's just, this is like step one to, you know, the next chapter of your life. You know, there's, I call it step one, just in the fact that like, you know, going from, you know, think about from little league to travel ball, from travel ball to high school, high school to college, college to pro ball. You know, there's a bunch of step ones. You have to, it's basically like restarting when you go um, to the new, another level. And so for me, this is just step one. So this is me getting my foot in the door, having the opportunity to play for a great organization that trusts and believes in me. And now the, the hard work continues to keep going. And, you know, I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to try to get, to the to the major leagues as fast as I can to help the you know the Brewers win a World Series and
1: that's what I try to stay focused on. And you mentioned the diabetes in there. Uh, having type one diabetes is something that comes up on um, a lot of the scouting reports with you. Is that everybody knows you're incredibly fast, 70 grade to 80 grade speed. You're a good hitter. Uh, you know you can show some power, especially in BP. And we're hopeful that we can see that more in games as you get more experience at the pro level. But all the the tools were there. Uh, it seems like the biggest question marks were, were about type one diabetes. How do you try to show teams that, yes, this is something you're dealing with, but you've overcome it pretty much at every stop in, in your life. And you can continue to do that once you hit the pros.
4: I mean, it's just going out there and playing, playing baseball. You know what I mean? I can't really sit there and, and convince someone, that, you know, I take care of myself. That's not how that's, with, with especially with diabetes. I mean, it's more of a, people who don't know me or don't really know about the disease you know it's if you don't know about it then I, I can't really change your mind if you don't really understand what kind of what is going on in the first place so for me it's just about playing because first and foremost what people's jobs are as being scouts is to to scout baseball players it's not about oh his, his health or or you know his grades all the, that all comes into play when it comes to like Going through the draft, but first and foremost, can this kid play baseball? So I just focused on okay, I'm gonna go out there and just play baseball. I will let the rest take care of itself. Whatever happens, happens. But the one thing I can't say is that there will be no question whether or not you know I can pick up a pick up a bat and swing the bat, or throw a baseball, or run. So at the end of the day, when when those things are being asked, it's more of just trying to focus on the things that you can control, and that's having positivity working your butt off and going out there every single day and competing and trying to win.
1: And in showing all that, obviously you attracted the interest of a lot of teams, Uh, You know, being a first round pick, every team's going to try to scout you and see where you can fall. But it seems like the Brewers were especially surprised to see you fall to them and they seemed all too happy to take you. What conversations did you have with Brewer scouts? How much did you know about them and their interests going into the draft, either through your conversations or ones with your agents?
4: I've been close to the Brewers organization ever since high school, just by, you know, playing on their scout team, doing area codes. So our relationship has been, you know, good for a long time. And they've known about my diabetes, obviously, since, you know, being around them, you know, for many years before even college. So to them, there was not really a concern whether I could play, whether I could play with diabetes or anything like that. So, you know, our conversations were very short and brief. More of the conversations were, you know, in the fall, it was like a 10-minute meeting, just kind of catching up, seeing how everything's going. And then, boom, you're gone. And then from there, there was really no other conversations because it was more of like, okay, let's see what happens. Um, will he make it to us? Will he not? You know, that type of conversation. So, you know, for me, I couldn't be more grateful, like I said, to be with the Brewers. And like I said, another it's an organization that does know me and then also knows about my background. So with that, it gives me confidence. Just I just have to go out there and play. It's not about me trying to, you know, prove myself to to anyone It's just go out and play. Do what you do best. And it takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders just to go out there and have fun.
0: Garrett, what is the the conversation after the the draft process starts? I mean, I know – Uh, even listening, you know, draft night or the the second night of the draft, listening to player development uh, execs or GMs or whoever, there was a lot of, yeah, we want to get these guys work. We're not really sure how we're going to be able to do that yet. When the Brewers select you, um, you know, we're six weeks removed from that now. How have they communicated with you about, you know, obviously now you're in Arizona and you get a chance to get some of that work started, but how did that communication process evolve of like, okay, we're not going to have a minor league season. We can't necessarily send you to do X, Y, and Z, but we want you to come to Arizona. Arizona like what was that whole track like
4: I mean the biggest thing is it was kind of just a day by day you know conversation more of like there was not really a plan it was more of congratulations we're so happy to have you in this organization and we're just going to see and wait um on what happens over the next couple of days and weeks and you know see what we can do and from there for me I've been training hitting doing everything since the season ended, so for me, I'm just I've been prepared to kind of do whatever I, what I was going to be asked to do. So you know, being able to come out in Arizona, get myself acclimated, get to you know meet some people, have some conversations, get some work in, you know, being able to get something out of a situation when there's not a lot going on. Um, it's it's just it's just kind of the way it kind of just happened. So for me, being out here is great because this is a lot better than sitting at home like a lot of people have to do. So, you know, I just want to play ball just like everyone else does.
0: That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I mean, at this stage, had this been a normal year, you would right now basically be in starting month seven pretty much of playing baseball consecutively for nine or ten months. I mean, depending on how your you know your debut season goes in pro ball and if you get sent to, to winter ball or to the fall league or something like that after this, how much do you miss – just day-to-day going to a ballpark and putting your uniform on and getting swings in or taking fly balls or whatever it is and especially games I mean how much are you missing that right now
4: I mean I'm missing it a lot and you know the biggest thing in baseball is when you're playing every single day you're able to have you know consistency whether it be at the plate or at the field or just having a consistent schedule so for me you know my schedule's been a little bit different I wouldn't say it's necessarily off it's just it's just different, you know, not having to get up every single day and, and get to the field. So, you know, I'm just trying to keep it like it's a, like a like a baseball season. Like I'm, I'm having to get up at a certain time and train and go to the field and play catch or hit or do something. And that's the biggest thing. So with that being the case, not being able to be at the field every single day really does suck. Just this whole year of 2020 has just been terrible because – you was out on what could have been your best college baseball season as a team and, you know, starting your professional career, you know, trying to work your way up to, you know, the show. So obviously it's, it's disappointing, but you just have to, you know, look at things from a positive perspective and just, it's more, more important that people stay safe and, you know, not get sick. So, you know, and even with, for me too, with my immune system being a diabetic, you know, I have to be safe. So, you know getting COVID not really in the in the cards for me you got to stay safe and stay inside so
1: and w- now that you are at the facility you're going to be making a lot of introductions to yourself to, to new people obviously you have a reputation that kind of precedes yourself being the first round pick a lot of people generally know who you are but as they get to know you more within the w- Milwaukee organization how do you kind of introduce yourself what do you what do you tell the, the new coaches, the new coordinators you'll be working with about your skill set, and what are you hoping to do to take that to the next level?
4: You know, for me, it's, it's kind of just the same thing as it's always been. It's more of just letting, you know, the coaches or the people in the organization get to know me um, as a person and kind of just see who I am and, you know, my beliefs and, you know, how my mind, my mind works when I'm, I'm on a field. So, you know, in this time, this is a good time for us, for me to get to know the organization, the organization gets to know me. So for me, the biggest thing I'd always tell, you know, those who are just need to know me is, you know, I want to win. I'll do whatever it takes to win. So whatever, that, um, whatever I have to do to do that, um, I will do. So that's kind of been what it's been like since being, you know, acclimated a little bit, just really just prepared to do whatever it takes. And that's kind of just how it's been. So, for me, I am just excited to be outside the house. I couldn't. Tell, I could tell you that a million more times. I just <laughs> happy to be out of my room, just watching TV, doing whatever, being outside to actually play catch, go hit in a cage, work off the machine. You know, have conversations with other players and coaches. You know, it's great.
1: And when you are doing that work, especially hitting off the machine. And in those batting practice sessions, uh, what is the focus for you? What do What do you think you need to do to prove yourself, uh, to prove to yourself, and prove to others, and prove to the Milwaukee organization that you can take what you did at UCLA, you know, which is in a collegiate atmosphere, a good conference, obviously, but metal bats and all that, and carry that to the pro ranks, and carry that to every stop, all the way up to the majors.
4: No, I try to challenge myself. You know, some of the best advice I've gotten is, you know, you you train and and practice. Um, at a harder level where you make it harder on yourself, you know, to fail. And so when you get in the game, it gets easier. So you mean, so when I, when I said, I mean, if you're going to hit off the machine, you're not going in there to, you know, throw a cookie cutter fastball right down the middle. Like you're going to, you know, bump up the, the speed a little bit quicker than you're used to, you know, make it throw, you know, more challenging pitches and just really challenge yourself. I mean, that's how you get better by challenging yourself and failing. So for me during this time, it's not about, you know, taking it easy. It's not about really, you know, just trying to get your feet wet. This is, it's, it's, get, it's go time. So you, whatever opportunity you get to, to put in the work and, you know, show people that you can work through failure and through challenges. That's, that's, I, I would call it the American dream as a baseball player. That That's what you want to do. Like, that's how you get better. I mean, you don't just, you don't just start from the bottom and just, you're a hundred percent successful all the time. And then you just, oh, boom, you're in the major leagues. That's not how that works. That's why it's long seasons, 162 games a year. For minor leaguers, maybe like more, more like 140. But, you know, there's going to be those days of ups and downs, and you got to work through that. You got to work through the growing pains, and that's how you become an everyday guy. So it's kind of just the mindset of, you know, going there, challenging yourself, working through failure, and, you know, doing whatever it takes. And just to circle back on this, because you you talked
1: about it before, and you talked about it right there in terms of putting in the work and and putting yourself in the best position. Um, you know, playing with type one diabetes, like you said, you put in the work to make sure that you're healthy enough and and in a good position every time you take the field um, for that to not affect you. But for people at home who don't know what that work is, kind of explain that to us. You know, what what are the, some of the things you need to do to make sure that you are at your best every day to take the field and, and are you know you've put in that work to be as good a prospect as you are now.
4: Yeah. I think the biggest thing when it comes to making sure, making sure you're you're prepared every single day when you go out of the field is just, you know, being consistent with, you know, eating right, you know, staying hydrated, making sure your body's fueled to play every single day because obviously when you're playing every single day and this goes for, you know, if you're a diabetic or you have no disease and, you know, you're just a normal person, I'd call it, but just your body gets depleted and you need to make sure that your body is getting, you know, the, 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 correct type of nutrients to, you know, feel good. And for me, you know, that preparation come at a young age. I learned how to do that when I was, you know, eight or nine years old. And for me, I feel of it as more of an advantage because I know, you know, what my body needs to, to feel right every single day and be ready to go. And that's really important is, you know, gain a lot of water and you stay hydrated. But with that, you know, having electrolytes between like I would use like a smart water or electrolyte packets or, you know, having some type of like Gatorade or Powerade. And then having the correct, you know, protein meal with carbs because you need both, especially with blood sugars, being the fact that if you can't keep your blood sugar stable, you know, you're not going to feel good. So it sounds like a lot of science when you talk about it, but you know, in my own mind, when I'm explaining it, I mean, it's, it's really more of like, I can just go to the fridge and grab a sandwich and and grab something to drink and be good. It sounds like a lot, but it's, it's really, um, it's every, everyday life feels real simple for me now. So I sometimes forget I'm a diabetic. Like when I have, you know, my diabetes bag in my hand or, you know, I have it on me and people be like, wait, are you like, are you a diabetic? I'm like, yeah. They're like, Hmm. Honestly, I didn't even know that I'd been your friend for five years. I'm like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've gotten that a couple of times in my lifetime where it's like, you know, not maybe not my best friend or just someone I've been around, like, around in my life and, you know, just who are around me, like, a good amount of time. And they don't even notice because it's not, like, something I flaunt. It's just something I do, you know, on the side when I, you know, had to prick my finger to test my blood sugar or, you know, have some type of like juice or some type of sugary substance because my blood sugar is low or give myself a shot for food when I'm high. So, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, that go into it, but, you know, I don't try to, you know, make it known to everyone because the thing is, I don't, it's not really like a, something I want, I want people to know. Like, I don't want people to think of me as like, Oh, you're a diabetic. I just want people to think of me as like, yeah, you're Garrett. You're just as normal as anyone else is. So,
0: Gary, a couple more for you. We'll get you out of here. Um, you come from two very impressive uh, baseball factories in uh, in your high school, Orange Lutheran, which, of course, produced Garrett Cole, a lot of people will probably be aware of, in uh, UCLA as well. And um, it, it has become very fashionable around college sports these days uh, to dunk on the Pac-12 because of its struggles in, in football and basketball. But in baseball – Three first-round picks uh, out of the Pac-12 this year. Three of the last eight first overall selections have come out of the Pac-12. Obviously, Mark Appel is no longer in baseball, but uh, Spencer Torkelson this year, your friend, Adley Rutschman last year from Oregon State. When you talk to people from, you know, you're going to – let's just put a name on it. You're going to run into those SEC people uh, in pro ball quite a bit. When people talk about the Pac-12, for you have been having been with a great program going in the first round, what is it about Pac-12 ball that you say – To the people outside of the Pac 12 who don't consider
4: it what it was at one time? I mean, the thing is, if if, if we're being realistic, it just kind of. The conferences can be different in some aspects. So if you think of an SEC team, you know, they're they're more of, you know, the powerhouse. Like the the big boys, the guys that hit a lot of home runs and drive a lot of runs and have, you know, their pitchers that just throw, you know, mid to high 90s, some of triple digits. You know, the Pac 12 is just a. I think an all-around, you know, nothing stands out more than just, you know, have a really solid overall team from top to bottom. And I think it just really depends on who you talk to. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, some SEC teams, like, there's the tops within, within, like, Vanderbilt and, you know, A&M and Arkansas and, you know, teams like that are at the top of the SEC that you really know. And same thing in the Pac-12 when you think of, like, ASU, Oregon State, UCLA, et cetera. But then there's, you know, the teams on the bottom that, you know, don't do as well. I don't really need to name schools or anything. But, you know, that's part of every conference. There's, you know, two, three, four programs in in each conference that are, you know, are that are good. And I think it's just more of a preference on, you know, what type of player you are and, you know, what you like to do. So for me, you know, my game has never really been, you know, the long ball. Not saying I can't hit it, not saying I can't do it. But my thing was never like, you know, I'm trying to go to a, an SEC school, you know, to try to hit a bunch of home runs. You know, my game is speed, small ball, good defense, and UCLA was, you know, the perfect fit for me. And they helped me develop into the player that, you know, I wanted to be and, you know, people thought I could be. So I think it's more of a preference on, you know, what it is a player wants and needs from, um, you know, a a university. So, you know, when you ask that question, I mean, I think it's just more personal preference. I don't, I mean, if you look at the numbers, how many, you know, Pac-12 teams have been in the World Series or have won the World Series over the past eight to ten years? Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, like, the, the numbers speak for themselves. It's not like, you know, you have to go out there and convince someone, like, <laughs> you know, is the Pac-12, you know, good enough to, to to line up against anyone else? I mean, you know, it's it's proven. So, you know, that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing, but... You know, I, I'd say Pac-12 is just is up there, just like you know any other uh, other big power conferences like the SEC.
0: And talking about homers and stuff, uh, Brewers fans, just for reference, uh, Garrett's like 566 last year with uh, 32 extra base hits of his 90 hits, so all of that pop is there. Don't let him fool you; it's all there, um, Garrett. Last thing for you, and this is just a, a nerdy question that uh, only I would ask, but looking at pictures of your last couple of baseball years. Uh, UCLA, one of the best-looking, best-outfitted programs, uh, not just in baseball, but in all of its sports, uh, uniform-wise. You are a a stirrup program. Uh, I think you guys all rock stirrups, and your stirrup game is phenomenal. Uh, in your UCLA photos but I noticed your USA baseball photos you go pant legs down so now as a pro ball player when you step onto a field next year and obviously climbing toward Milwaukee they've got brand new uniforms that look gorgeous this year are you going to be a stirrup guy or are you going to be a high sock high pant leg guy or are you going with the low pant legs what's the pro ball look going to be for you
4: you know I think it's going to be a little bit of a mix of both I mean realistically I didn't really have the, the choice at UCLA to to choose what I wanted to do, which was fine. Because like I said, the one thing I can tell you about, you know, playing at UCLA is, you know, it comes with being a professional, right? You think of like the Yankees being clean shaved, you know, having a certain look. So, you know, what the organization's supposed to look like. That's how coach um, Savage runs UCLA baseball. And I think it's great when you have a coach that wants the same for all your players that, you know, no one looks different than someone else. And I think it looks real professional. It looks really good and it stands out. I think that's the reason why, is because there's not one person you know, that stands out over another. It all looks the same from top to bottom, and it's great. So for me, I think it's going to be a mix. It's going to be, be me trying to figure out you know, what kind of looks good and what feels good. Because I'm a big person on, you know, if you look good, you'll play good and you'll feel good. So <laughs> you know, some days it might be pants down. Sometimes it might be pants up with stirrups. You, know, you never know. Maybe some dirty mid-sum games. You never know.
0: i love it i love it garrett mitchell the 20th overall selection in the 2020 major league baseball first year player draft he is the newly minted top prospect in the milwaukee brewers organization uh baseball's number 69 overall and you can find him on twitter at garrett mitchell five uh garrett we cannot thank you enough for for all the time man this has been so great catching up and uh best of luck in arizona don't melt before we get to the fall uh but enjoy all of your time uh at the at the complex and uh we'll be following as as we get baseball back in all the
4: forms we love it Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having
5: me. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to go com today to protect your future health. That's go goforward.com. dot com.
0: Excited to catch up with our good pal, Benjamin Hill this week, who is uh safe in non-tropical storm area. Correct. Right. You weren't, you weren't really in the path the
2: last couple of days. No, no, I was, uh, did have to go to Pennsylvania for a while, uh, visiting my mom, but made it back to New York before the storm. And yeah, we had a lot of a, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I had a Winnie the Pooh, like um, record, you know, and you hear the, turn the page when you hear the chimes. Oh yeah. This. And uh, one of my favorites is called uh, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And uh, yesterday I was thinking, man, is it a blustery day? Winnie the Pooh would understand. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's about all. I made it back to New York City before the storm and you know, we got some rain and some wind, but I was not uh, affected at all. And one of those times I'm happy to live in an apartment and actually know nothing to worry about in terms of the upkeep of my property and falling tree branches and everything else.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, We got a good amount of stuff to talk about with Ben this week. Uh, We are nearing the epic conclusion of the uh, league facts, the did you knows about each of the minor leagues Uh, 14 leagues and uh, we are through triple A and double A and high A and low A and now into the short season circuits into rookie ball and the Appalachian League which is one of the oldest and most storied leagues in all minor league baseball. Uh, You came out with the facts about each team in the athlete and there are some really good ones like some really very good old classic minor league style things including a 27 strikeout no hitter uh which is one that we can dive into uh that happened in Bristol which of course is now home to the Bristol Pirates but i think my favorite of the appy league facts is and i had kind of forgotten about this the burlington royals play in a stadium burlington athletic stadium which actually was not built either for that franchise or in that city it was built uh, as league park in danville and then was broken down uh built in 19 or through 1958 it hosted the danville team broken down shipped via train to burlington and then rebuilt in burlington 60 years ago and it's just held Appy league ball uh and held the burlington royals uh in large part ever since which is a very random and cool and super minor league thing like well, we're not going to build a new one and this one isn't being used well, why don't we just break it down and ship it on a train
2: yeah, weird times, you know, they, they don't make them like that anymore. And, uh, you know, that stadium, uh, Burlington Athletic Park, has gone through a lot of renovations, particularly over the last decade. Um, but the core of it, you know, is, still can be traced back to a stadium that was built elsewhere, disassembled and shipped via train. And I'm pretty sure that's the only case, uh, that particular uh, cork in, in all of minor league baseball where you have a ballpark that was at, literally built somewhere else. But it speaks to how much simpler things were then. That you know, people thought of ballparks as you know a grandstand and some bleachers, and uh, it wasn't uh, all the bells and whistles today. Because can you imagine uh, disassembling one of today's minor league stadiums, no. shipping it on a train?
0: You have to ship an entire district of a lot of downtowns in various cities.
2: Yeah, it would be uh, an impossible undertaking. But that's the charms of the Appy League, and, and writing that column just kind of helped get me in touch with how much I liked that league. Um, my only road trip ever that was um, entirely one league and the entirety of one league in a single stretch was uh, 2016 when uh, 10 teams, 10 days, I did the whole happy league. And it was, you know, that's a lot of, I was worn out, but it was not that hard to do because, um, you know, five of the teams or um, I just stayed in Johnson city for the whole time and all five teams in that division uh, you know, we're basically within an hour of one another. Johnson City and Elizabethton are like 20 minutes away, tops. So you, you really have some uh, really remarkable concentration in, in that league for sure. And it's uh, a lot of charm and a lot of history. And uh, it's a cliche. And, and Bristol Pirates actually use this as their slogan. But, you know, baseball as it was meant to be. And we can argue what baseball is meant to be because that's different things to different people. But, you know, how they mean it is just uh, stripped of all the modern day bells and whistles uh, very intimate, very small, very affordable, uh, more rustic and rural, and it is something really to experience, and I'm really glad I had that experience.
1: And uh, you're also coming out with a piece on the Pioneer League, which will be up by the time people hear this podcast, I think, but give us a little taste of, of maybe your most favorite uh, fun fact yeah, from I'm the Pioneer in the, League. I a little,
2: your, these your articles have usually been running on Tuesday, but uh, I had to take a little time off, so The exciting conclusion is running uh, tomorrow on Thursday when you hear this podcast, so check it out. And uh, I'm sad to see the series go, um, but the 14th and final installment is the other advanced rookie league. Uh, There's the Appalachian and the Pioneer League, and that's what I'm working on right now. Um, Here's something I kind of stumbled upon is, you know, the Grand Junction Rockies, uh, as you guys know, and as I'm sure many people know, that team used to be the Casper Ghosts. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, there's no teams in Wyoming. And uh, I don't think there have been much teams in Wyoming, you know, historically and certainly since the Ghosts left. So I look it up. And um, on baseball reference, there was uh, the Casper Rockies and then the Ghosts. And they played between 2001 and 2011 uh, before moving to Grand Junction, where they are today. And they didn't have a single winning record between 2001 and 2011. They had one 500 record. And outside of that, at least on baseball reference, I can only find one other Wyoming-based minor league team that ever existed. And that was the 1941 Cheyenne Indians. And they only existed in that 1941 season, but they went 59-44. and So as far as I can tell, the only uh, Wyoming-based minor league team to ever have a winning record was that 1941 club at Cheyenne. Uh, The Casper Ghosts uh, between 2001 and 2011 never did. And there's uh, no other instance of Wyoming-based minor league baseball I can find.
0: My favorite minor league I'll, – I'll say it. My favorite minor league team name. And I was devastated when they – it would have worked. You could have kept that name going to Grand Junction. I think the alliteration of Grand Junction Ghosts actually would have sounded really cool. But they changed it to Rockies. And I've, I've rarely been as disappointed in losing a team name. There have been some good team names that have come and gone. The Jamestown Jammers – uh, we're a team that, that ceased to exist and, uh, and we're a great name and logo, but something about losing the ghost. It, it hurt, man.
2: Yeah, that was a unique one. And somehow they were able to get, a, get around, I believe, they were able to get around um, whatever co- copyright issues that would have existed with, you know, Casper the Ghost. Right. Um, the it, ghost. it wasn't Casper the Ghost related branding. And uh, in fact, and Tyler, I'm sure you know this very well. Um, the Casper Ghosts were famous in minor league baseball logo circles because they eventually unveiled a glow-in-the-dark logo, Yeah, and, and that had been, never been done before, and the only other instance I can think of of a glow-in-the-dark logo was uh, is now the Columbia Fireflies added elements of that, but uh, Casper Ghosts, excellent name, uh, representing Wyoming at a time when no one else did, and now no one else does, period, glow-in-the-dark logo, never had a winning record, never forget.
0: Always remember the ghost. Um, speaking of team names that may possibly be on the way out or may be saved and just redesigned uh, the class a Beloit snappers in the Midwest league are next year moving into a brand new ballpark uh, in Beloit. And they submitted uh, kind of put their, their toes in the water of possibly rebranding heading toward the 2021 season with the, the new park and maybe a fresh new identity. Um, they tweeted today that they in the last 24 hours had received over 300 potential team name submissions uh the snappers uh i think is a great name their logo is a very unique one in minor league baseball it almost looks like a kids club logo and i mean that in a very endearing and uh and loving way it's an adorable little kiddo turtle with a hat flipped backwards getting ready to take a swing um, and they have a very endearing identity as it is but this is kind of interesting to go uh to the fans and say hey we want your input before we just slap out there oh by the way we're rebranding and here are all the team names that you get to choose from
2: yeah, they put that out yesterday and uh, taking suggestions and um, yeah, keeping the snappers in mind. Um, I, I do like the snapper's name, uh, I would agree that the logo <laughs> needs to be changed. And uh, bigger picture, uh, you know, what's happening Beloit is really interesting and, and really cool. Um, Cause that's a small market and their ball, their current ballpark, I think it's a it community field, I'm blanking on the name, you know, is uh, very outmoded and you know, Beloit's survival is a minor league baseball town, you know, it was very much in jeopardy uh, even before, you know, the potential repercussions from the ongoing negotiations between major and minor league baseball. And so for Beloit to now be very, to be building a new stadium, you know, during these times of uncertainty is a really cool thing and it puts them, you know, 100%, you know, back in the mix and on the map, uh, you know, for a continued existence. So that's, I think, a really cool thing to see. And, uh, you know, the force behind Beloit baseball right now are, you know, one of the movers and shakers is uh, Quint Studer, who I believe is a Beloit native. And he's best known as the owner of the uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Uh, And, you know, that's a team in a beautiful ballpark, uh, great front office staff, uh, making a lot of headlines in this uh, baseball free minor league season, you know, with their Airbnb and the uh, disc golf course designed by Bubba Watson. So he's bringing his energy and expertise to his hometown of Beloit uh, to revive that franchise and keep keep Beloit's uh, future uh, secured at a time when it otherwise, you know, would be very much in question.
1: And I've seen you throw out some, uh, you know, calls on Twitter for what are some names that people are suggesting. I know you said you, you like snappers. I was a big turtle fan growing up, you can ask my family, so I'm all for kicking (laughs) snappers and updating the logo. But either through some of the responses you got or from your trips to Beloit, what do you think are some possibilities for for team names that they could go towards? Yeah, I don't
2: have some real great ones. Um, I threw out some ones that were very specific and goofy. You know, the Home Dogs, D-A-W-G, which is a reference to the famous Road Dog uh, Diner uh, restaurant in Beloit right near the team hotel, the roadway in. Uh, with a famous karaoke bar, I believe. So, you know, I threw out some goofy stuff like that. Uh, The Beloit Florists, uh, which would have been a nod to uh, the uh, flower shop uh, that was owned by uh, former league president George Spelius actually by his wife, and it was in his wife's family for a long time. And uh, so that flower shop was kind of uh, had its own connection to the snappers and uh, the Midwest League history. Um, I think they're going to get a lot of suggestions and I'm sure we'll consider suggestions. Uh, given the fact that they are right, you know, it's a Wisconsin based team, but actually, you know, South Beloit, you know, a separate, but obviously very close by city, South Beloit is in Illinois. Uh, so, you know, I, I suggested, you know, state liners, which is a horrible name, but I, I think, you know, things with <laughs> referencing the state borders, uh, two states, something I think could be in the mix. Uh, I got some goofy suggestions on Twitter. Someone said the corn chips and had a very uh, amateur logo they made. I don't even know what that's a reference to. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, But I don't know. I think, you know, most people are just saying, I like the snappers. That's what I've been seeing. And that's pretty common when this kind of comes about that, you know, people have an attachment to a name and don't want to see it changed. And, you know, I understand that. But uh, I do think, especially with moving into the new ballpark, they really do need to, uh, you know, freshen it up and, Go into the new ballpark. It's not with a new name than with um, you know seriously revamped logo and just a whole new fresh
1: energy to match what's going on with the franchise. I'm going to throw one out real quick. Just that's piggybacking off State Liners, the Gateman, because according to the Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. I know Wikipedia isn't great resource, but it says it's the gateway to Wisconsin. So oh, yeah. it makes me think of uh, anybody who follows the Cape League, the Wareham yeah. Gateman. Uh, are the team that you first get to it's not even on the cape but it's just before you get there piggybacking off of that it's not like a weird wacky one and i can't even envision what the logo would look like but i just wanted to get that out of my system
0: wait a minute just let me uh you pronounce that town wareham
1: yeah Wareham. so so
0: so you folks have a a town in your region spelled w-o-r-c-h-e-s-t-e-r and that one is doing an h in there
1: no, you threw in an H there. There's oh, no
0: H. yeah, right. Sorry, sorry. W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. That one is Correct. blister. Yes. But the one that I have always been saying is Wareham. is Wareham? Correct. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. I don't know how <laughs> else to sure explain it. That's the way that. you do it. Yeah. <laughs> sorry to make this discussion about a Wisconsin team into, uh, you know. Or, um, it
0: always comes back to Boston. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, Gateman. I actually very much like Gaiman. I think it's a really cool name. The Gateman. It would be, if it was like, uh, you know, one of the suggestions in Cleveland uh, has been the guardians because there's a bridge that has these really cool old art deco statues that are called the guardians. Um feels very much in that same vein. I like that idea. That's a cool one. Keep it just, in mind snappers.
1: Yeah. We're just throwing out ideas here. That's yeah,
0: these are, these are free. These are free from the mind of Sam Dykstra. I like it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Benjamin Hill stuff you can all find uh, on the site, MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. Ben is on Twitter at Ben's Biz as well. And uh, good stuff, especially for these, uh, these last couple of leagues with the facts. Um, you can go back through at the beginning of each of these stories are the links to all of the other league fun fact stories, uh, the interesting did you know fact stories. Um, so you can uh, educate yourself on all of those. And they've been really, really fun to follow along with. And Ben, great stuff as always, man. And we will uh, we'll do it again next week.
2: Yeah, great talking to you guys. And uh, I'm going to miss these fun fact series uh, when they're gone. I've enjoyed doing them. And uh, I'm going to get off the – well, not the phone. Get off the Zoom with you guys. And, uh, you know, with uh, holding back tears, finish this last one on the Pioneer League. And (laughs) in conclusion, let me say never forget that Gary Reed has hit 462 for the 1978 Billings Mustangs.
1: 462?
2: Damn right. Thanks, man. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Sam. We head
0: to the West Coast for our uh, weekly minor league writer spotlight. It feels like it has been ages since we caught up with your friend and mine, Josh Jackson. Uh, I don't think it's actually been ages,
3: but it's been too long. Hi, Josh. How are you, fellas? We're good, man. how How are you doing? I'm plugging along, doing doing all right out here. Good. Um, this was a this is a this thing that you've got me on to talk about. This is this was a really fun one.
0: This is a fun one and uh, it is the start of a series of stories uh, in this vein. This month uh, at MILB.com, we're profiling minor league baseball fans across the country who go to impressive lengths to show their love of the game in creative ways and stay connected to their favorite teams even when the action on the field is on hold. And uh, Josh kicked off this series. I've got a story coming next week. Ben has a story the following couple of weeks uh, on some for lack of a better term, some minor league super fans. Josh's is uh, a super fun one about about ice cream helmet collector slash uh, author slash logo enthusiast slash kind of all around MILB sort of dude, uh, Paul Caputo, who has maybe the world's largest ice cream helmet collection, which is something that Josh and I have bonded over. uh, And Sam as well, Uh, we're, we're big fans of both ice cream and tiny helmets. Uh, or large helmets to eat the ice cream out of. I don't. I don't discriminate. I'll eat all the ice cream. Uh, but tell us about this story because Paul's collection is definitely a unique one.
3: Yeah, Paul. He may well be. I mean, he's at least in the running for uh, the title of world's foremost collector of uh, ice cream, ice cream helmets, or or uh, helmet Sundays, um, helmet Sunday helmets. Uh, he he has you know, somewhere around 300, um, which there's, an, you know, there, there's another guy who probably has a, a, around the same number. Eric Lichtenberg is his name. Um, he's, he, he's really kind of concerned with like manufacturing and design prototypes are up Eric Lichtenberg's. Um, Ali, for Paul Caputo, this is, he kind of ended up um, with this collection. Over a long period of time, he and it and it um, wasn't something where he said, I'm going to start collecting helmets as much as he sort of realized, oh, he'd amassed somewhat of a collection. And then the more he sh- shared about that, I mean, to some extent, it, like he posted on Facebook after he had uh, collected. After he had, you know, had to sort of happened into all 30 major league teams, helmets, and people that he hadn't talked to for, in forever um, would, you know, send him comments or messages like, hey, well, I've got this minor league team I go see once or twice a year. Um, do you want a helmet from there? And <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. Um, so now it's become a thing where, he has a bunch of helmets that all that either give him sort of ties to various friends or friends he's made through his minor league journeys and ice cream collections or that tie him directly to you know that that are directly from um minor league journeys or games that he's gone to and he's he's done a lot of um journeys around the minors um both with his his children and with a group of friends, uh, which now is up to 11. Yeah, yeah, he's got a group of about 11 friends who every year with like once in a while a year off since uh, 2014, when it was just two of them, but anyway, the group grew over time, Um, (laughs) have gone to a different region and traveled around and and hit up minor league games. And so he's got helmets from all of those journeys um, and helmets. And basically any way you could get a helmet, he's got a helmet from that kind of experience. Um, He's also just an incredibly fun guy to talk to. Um, You know, I I've talked to a lot of people about a lot of different aspects of minor league baseball over the years um, and all kinds of, environments um a lot on the phone which is you know how paul and i connected um a lot you know at ballparks in you know manager's offices, clubhouses on the concourse with fans at bars whatever um all kinds of people paul and i ended up chatting <laughs> like i don't know it was well over an hour um and it was just a really fun conversation about sort of how great the minor leagues are and how fun this collection of his is.
1: And one of my favorite quotes from this story, Josh, is uh, apparently like his sister, you, you, the way you write it is his sister, Katie, perhaps half as a gag, wrote to every minor league team within 100 miles or so of Philly asking for Sunday helmets. And Paul said, when she did that, I don't think the teams realized she was talking about a grown man instead of a 12-year-old baseball fan with his hat on sideways. (laughs) So this feels like such a a kid's story, right? Like, I remember growing up and collecting these. I even had a roommate in college who collected them and then used them for the standings of Major League Baseball, and he would move them around every day. But to have it be this big, um, you know, what came across in that hour-long conversation about, like, what he's taken away from this process, what he's learned about minor league baseball. There's like, yeah, some so of these, yeah, some of these, you don't even have anymore for, for logos like this South Bend silver Hawks are in here, which you mentioned by name, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma city, Redhawks, that kind of stuff. Uh, what were the takeaways from that?
3: Yeah. I mean, so as a quote, as that quote illustrates one of the, and, and what made it so fun to talk to them and what I hope it makes it a fun story to read is that, He has a tremendous sense of humor about, you know, it's not when you think of somebody who's, um, a collector of anything, you think of somebody who takes their collection so seriously that, (laughs) um, you know, it's like a little weird. And I would say Paul, you know, he's like, yeah, this is a little weird. It's super fun. Let's, you know, let's have some laughs about it. Um, <laughs> A quote that I that I didn't end up using in the story, but you know, when the words came out of his mouth, I was like, "Oh, that's that's probably going to end up being you know the <laughs> the first quote I use." Um, we were talking we were talking about souvenir cups, and I mentioned to him that um, you know, for some, I don't really understand why, but my wife does not love it when I come home from like a work trip and I have, like, let's say I've been to, um, you know, Rancho and, you know, wherever. And I come home with like three different ice cream helmets from like four different teams. She she, she doesn't, she's not a fan of, of that, but she does not seem to mind as much if I come home with a souvenir cup. So I mentioned that to Paul just, uh, you know, we were talking. Souvenir cups came up, and I said, "Oh, you know, my wife doesn't seem to mind it so much if I come home and put and and clutter up the cupboards with those." And he said, "Well, I don't know if it's because of the helmets that I ended up separated, but they probably didn't help." <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, it just points to the sense of humor I think that you know he he has about the helmets and and the sense of really of of fun, um, to be able to sort of laugh at one's own circumstances and, and that baseball and minor league baseball can kind of play a role in that in your life and helping you to, to, to not, you know, take things so seriously and to to have a little bit of fun. Um, so yeah, for me, that attitude that his, his whole sort of philosophy or approach to the helmets was what made it, a fun story to, to write made him a really fun guy to talk to um, and what I hope will make it a fun story to read. And, you know, along that, along those same lines, I asked him about, you know, so this trip that he takes with with his friends, they call it Baseball Palooza. And I said to him, you know, I, I was like, so, you know, to what extent now at this point, are you planning the 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 trips by going, okay, you know what? I don't have a helmet from the, right. um, you know, Fayetteville Woodpeckers. I don't know if he has one or not. By the way, I'm, I just pulled that that name out of my ice cream helmet. Um, you know, how much does that sort of "I want this helmet" factor into the trips? I mean, the answer he, you know, he was like, "Well, not not really." I mean, you can you can go to the story and read his actual quote, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to describe his attitude here. His attitude was like, you know, um, it's not about I'm going out and find and stocking down these helmets. It's about these helmets are um, mementos from sort of the fun of minor league baseball. Now they end up going to places, you know, of course they want to go places that he's never been. Um, and if he's been somewhere, chances are very, very high that he has a helmet from there. So in that way, the baseball palooza trips end up being kind of geared around getting helmets that, that he doesn't have, but it's by no means, yeah, this is, this is again about like how seriously you take the collection versus how much fun you're willing to have with it. Um, by no means is, is he like, I must go get this, this year must be the year that we go to you know, X place because I need X helmet. Um, it's more like, hey, I've never been to X place. Hey, look, let's grab a helmet here. I don't have one.
1: And, and, it, it, and, and yeah, no, I think that's pretty understandable. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask, but you you brought up the cup, so I don't have to ask, like, what would you take away from every stadium? I guess, Josh, but of, of Caputo's hats, what would you, which one would you want to, Use to start your own collection, I guess, of the, all these Sunday cups that you've seen in the pictures he sent and the ones he's talked about uh, in your discussions with him. Which, which, how would you start your own collection, I guess?
3: Well, that's a good question. I do have a little bit of of a uh, <laughs> of a, of I don't know if you call it a collection. So one of the major points of the story is that there's a difference between a collection and hoarding. And um, yeah, the the comedian and and humorist and writer and all around entertainer john hodgman actually addressed uh paul caputo and 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 told him um you know and you you can read about it in the story but in a in a public sort of format that um the difference between a collection and a collector and a hoarder is a display case or, or display shelf um so i'm sort of hoarding a few helmets in my like i probably have like five or six little ice cream sunday helmets and one that that Paul and I connected on was um the Sacramento River Cats and for the particulars on why the Sacramento River Cats helmet is different one should probably check out Eric Lichtenberg's website which is easy to find um which, which has notes on different design prototypes and manufacturing and stuff but um the Rivercats one is like bigger and deeper by just a little bit. So it's like small enough that it's still a mini helmet Sunday, but it's big enough that if I'm eating ice cream out of it, I'm like, Ooh, I got a little bit extra tonight. So that's, that's one that, that we're connected over. Another one that, uh, that Paul mentioned is, um, and I don't think this bit is in the story, but Paul has an, old one from the Inland Empire 66ers before they um before they rebranded to have like the the I I guess it's Bernie the mechanic swinging the the wrench um like they just had like the street sign style 66ers logo so he has that old ice cream sundae helmet and um you know I I kind of wish that the 66ers still had that maybe in 2021 they'll have like Bernie swinging the um, the wrench on an ice cream helmet. But if you go there, at least if you went there like last year or maybe the year before, if you went there in recent years and you went to the concession stand and asked for an ice cream Sunday helmet, the helpful um, and, and hardworking individual behind the counter might tell you, okay, would you like a blue one or a red one? And you'll say, oh, a red one, I guess. And then you'll get an angel's helmet. Ah. And if you had said blue, you would have wound up with a Dodger's helmet, which is not, you know, it's not the same as having a 66ers, uh, batting, you know, ice cream yeah. Sunday helmet. So the, um, the, the longest winded answer possible to your question, Sam, is if I could start a collection, um, with any from, from, you know, that, that I know that Paul has, it would be the old 66ers.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, This story you can find right now at MIOB.com. It is the first in a, in a series of stories. Um, I shockingly have one on minor league hat collectors, which is coming up next week. Uh, Ben will have a couple of stories, but we, uh, we really want to, you know, obviously keep uh, in touch with and uh, keep embracing the biggest minor league fans out there during uh, what has been a brutal year for all of us and, uh, a time in which hey we miss you we miss you all uh and josh jackson you can find on twitter at josh jackson Milb, and uh go have some ice cream uh right now seems like a good way to, to wrap up the interview just go do it that's yeah that's you josh
3: <laughs> yes i no i i um i don't have any ice cream around but you know i <laughs> i've uh well yeah i mean I'll, I'll get some eventually at some point don't worry about that that's a That's a given. Thank you for having me on. Pellet. Thanks, Josh. Thanks,
1: Josh.
0: Final segment. Thanks as always to uh, everybody who joined the show this week, especially Garrett Mitchell, the top prospect in the Brewers organization and to Ben and Josh as well. Sam has this week's nationwide prospect fun fact before we go.
1: Yeah. So there are a couple of parameters I'll set out for this fun fact, but then it'll make a turn for a fun thing. So I was looking at, you know, there's going to be a shortened season this year. There's a the potential to put up some really crazy numbers. We talked about that with Ben uh, in in his segment. He just ended it right there talking about the guy in Billings. Who hit, what did he say? 462? 462, I think he said. 462, which is incredible. Who knows if we're going to get some crazy number like that. It, it isn't quite happening yet with prospects. Um, but there have been some, some special starts for sure. Kyle Lewis in Seattle, Lewis Robert in Chicago, Um, More to come, obviously, Joe Adele just coming up this week. He has every potential to put up some wacky numbers himself. Uh, But I wanted to look at some of the best rookie performances over the last 63 years. So I started in 1947. You might know that is Jackie Robinson's rookie year up until now. And the highest OPS put up by a rookie with at least 200 plate appearances, which is roughly what the most experienced guys will get this year, was Willie McCovey. In 1959, he had a 1.085 OPS. Number two was Jordan Alvarez, actually, last year at 1.067. Number three was Aaron Judge in 2017 at 1.049. Now, I've been doing this a lot more lately. Uh, Tyler, do you think anybody can beat Willie McCovey's 1.085? With keeping in mind, as of right now, Kyle Lewis is at 1.006 and Luis Robert is at 997. 1085
0: is pretty, that is pretty tough. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say no, I'm going to, as much as I would like to say, yes, somebody's going to register 1100. I'm going to, I'm going to go on the, on the downside.
1: Yeah, I I think I am too. A because we're just talking about literally history here. And we're talking about one of the greatest hitters ever in Willie McCovey. Um, You know, there's a reason why they named an entire cove after the guy, uh, a special hitter. And, yeah, offense is on the way up right now. We just mentioned Jordan Alvarez is number two on that list, and Aaron Judge is number three, and those were guys who played recently. Um, But you think about the hot start that Kyle Lewis is off to and the fact that he's not even cracking that McCovey number yet or Luis Robert, but neither of them are doing that. And there's the potential for them to regress over a full season, especially Kyle Lewis, who struck out 36.5% of the time so far. Um, I I don't think it could happen, but – The way offense has been going, the way teams are building players who are homer friendly and can hit the ball over the yard and uh, the opportunity for some of the most talented prospects to get called up earlier than we expected, at least puts it in play. So we'll we'll keep tabs on this as the season goes along. But as of right now, it feels like Willie McCovey's 1085 feels secure, but we would be happy to see that number broken in 2020.
0: And a loaded episode of the show before the show from MIOB.com comes to an end. Uh, all the stuff up at the site. A big thanks to everybody for joining us. And uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week.